So anyway, where we're doing the picking up today, God just really spoke to go on. And what we're going to deal with this morning is this, the foundations of the law of relationships. And there were six of them that I preached just real quick over in the last, uh, about three or four weeks ago. But what God has told us to do is back up, take each one of these foundations and speak it. And this morning that the Lord literally is what we're going to deal with is that everything begins and ends in the depth of relationships. And so we're going to, I want to review this first part, how God has created us relational. God has created us in love. So, and let me just pause in that. You know, I'm sure every one of us in this place have heard the news of this tragic event that happened on, what was that, Thursday night late? out in Colorado, that event where a guy walks in and to starts just randomly shooting people. Now, those, th- those kind of events have occurred you know, throughout history. But it's interesting to me that in recent years, they're increasing at increasing rate. And, and uh, I was just reading a timeline of, of mass murders, you know, that occurred in, our, in, our, in the United States. And, like, there was one... You know, really significant event was like 1949, but then the the next one that occurred was like 1966, where a guy climbed a tower in the University of Texas and he killed people. I remember that as a kid occurring, and uh, and then it, you know they go about another 20 years for another one to occur. But it's like in the last four or five years, we're having one every year, and like more than one in a year. And, you know, people are grasping for straws and trying to find out what, what, is, what is going on in these events. You know, I, I was reading the news. Oh, gun control, that's it, that's it. Well, y'all, if it wasn't guns, it'd be, it'd be suicide bombers, you know, or whatever. It'd be some way, some way to afflict pain and sorrow. And one of my honest convictions, one of the reasons for these kind of events is what we're going to be talking about, relationships. In fact, depth of relationships. And uh, it is so significant. That's why I say everything everything God created in Genesis begins and ends in the area of relationships, relationship with God and relationship with one another. Depth of relationships. Now, I want to review and go through some stuff here, and let's go. And, and this is where we're talking about the foundations of this. In Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In 2.16, based off of that, the Lord God commanded man from any tree of the garden you may eat freely. Now, we talked about this, and right after this is the two trees, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And we established that the tree of life is nothing more than intense, intimate relationship with God. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is the form of God without intense relationship with him. And that's what we established in the past. But the big thing is that God commanded. In fact, this is the only time in the first three chapters of the book of Acts, I mean the book of Acts, the book of Genesis, where God commands. This Greek Hebrew word is used. And it's in relationship man to be freely to eat of the trees. And then it goes on. In Psalm 100, verse 3, know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us. That is the thing I wanted to really emphasize. Not we ourselves, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. 
So he made us. The question that comes up, how does he make us? How did he make us? Not the method in, in constructing us, but how did he make us to function? And that's us go on. And this is where it's so important. Where you see in the very beginning in Genesis 2.15 that then the Lord God took man and put him in the garden. And like I, if you remember, that Hebrew word for took is the word Hebrew word that literally means to take by the hand. And literally God had took man by the hand and led him into the Garden of Eden in this place of deep relationships. And you'll see in this where he's walking in this depth of relationships and right after this, out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field, a beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. That's an intense relationship. I love it. I can just picture, you know, Shay, when he was a little kid, he'd always line up. He had a he had a Noah's Ark thing with all these different animals, and he would line them up going into the ark or, or whatever. He's always lining something up. It's interesting. Max does the same thing. And But it's just really cool, and I'd sit there for hours with him, playing with him in those things. And what would he say about them? And that's sort of like God's saying here, in depth of relationship, because, okay, what are you going to name these animals? Depth of relationship. So we see this in Genesis in Genesis 2. And let's go on. And uh, in, in 3.8, where we hear the Lord God, sound of the Lord God, walking in the cool of the day. And the man and the woman, this is after the fall, hid themselves from the Lord. So we see, in the beginning, intense relationship with God in the creation. Now let's go on. And now, see the depth of the relationships in these? And these are just a few past scripture that I just pulled out about God's presence. In Joshua 1, 9, where he says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Don't be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God's presence with us. In Psalm 139, verses 1 through 5, literally 1 through 7, where it talks about he's intimately acquainted with all our ways. And it goes on to say, where can we flee from thy presence, O Lord? Where can we hide from thy spirit? And so, or in 2 Corinthians 6.16, where God says, he promises us, I will dwell in you and I'll walk among you. I will be your God and you will be my people. In, in, Hebrew, I mean, in 2 Corinthians 6.18, the depth of that relationship is a father to a son or daughter. It's not just this vague presence, him being with us. Like you could be with the president of the United States. You could be with him, but not be in depth of relationship with him. And that's what God does. You know, like uh, one time I, you know, Paul and I went to a, you know, Tom Landry Associates dinner in Dallas, Texas. Right when Tom Landry was coaching at Dallas Cowboys. And we were in this fancy thing where we were invited to come and be his guest for a whole weekend. And on Friday night, there's a big banquet. And I go and I make a fool out of myself by getting introduced to Robert Roger Stahlbeck, who was my lifelong hero. And, you know, guy, when I walked in, Paul, and I walked into the into the, the banquet, uh, the guy yells at me, he says, hey, Rick, come here, come here. I've got somebody I want you to meet. And there's, you know how people will stand in a circle. And he, he just took me and he pushed me up into this circle. And he says, hey, Rick, I want you to meet Roger Stahlbeck. And, and I'm standing there like, well, and I know it, I, it seemed like forever because I'm standing there so move, dummy, move. You know, and it's so embarrassing, you know. Finally, I raised my hand, you know, and introduced myself. And 
you know, and Rogers was oh so gracious, but I know I look like a fool. I said that day, but that was the last time. Am I going to be intimidated by anybody? Because I, you know, I had, I, I met, I was in Roger Staubach's presence, Tom Landry's presence. But guess what? I was not in what? Relationship with. I can say, well, yeah, I, I go back, way back with Roger Staubach. Yeah, way back. That's when I met him, 1986, 87. But that's way back. But that's the only time I ever seen him talk to him. And uh, But I don't have a relationship with him. Well, God promises us, I'll be a father to you. I'll, you will be to me as sons and daughters. It's the type of relationship we'll have. And in Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, he says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And I love it summarized up in Revelation 21, 3, where it talks about how God dwells in our midst. And the temple of God is among men, among women too. In this place, God has created us for relationships. That's it, because he's a relational God. And y'all, we cannot function apart from relationships. And I'll say this. When we start to function apart from relationships, stuff like happened out in Colorado will happen. Now, maybe not to that degree. Not to that degree where people will take people's lives. But death will occur in other forms. Death means what? Separate. And so what will happen is, is we'll separate ourselves from people, ways, and death will, will occur. Let's go on. Now here God has created us like God. He's created us image and likeness. So therefore he's created us for relationships. But what kind of relationships? Loving relationships. Like here. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, out of God. And everyone who loves is born of God. Now, we've talked about this before, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time in it. But the thing that I really want to press us into is that you and I have been created for relationships. What kind of relationships? Love, relationships of love. Now, you go, what does that look like? Well, read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. You know, love does not seek its own. Love is not provoked. Love does not take into account wrong suffered. I mean, all those things, the realities of those things, that is the kind of relationships that God has created us for. No walls. No walls. Now, where God is calling us to go today. I'm going to ask this question. God created us to walk in loving relationships, but what happens when sin and death enter? In other words, the law, the reciprocal of the law of relationships is the law of sin and death. What happens when sin enters a relationship? What happens? And, and the Lord told me, you want to find out? Look and use John chapter 4. Now, I'm going to invite you to turn your Bibles. I don't have the PowerPoint for these things. So uh, so what, I, what we're going to do is, and you'll recognize this, is, the, is, the, is a situation where Jesus is going along and he's journeying from Judea to Galilee. Now, I don't know how much you know about Israel, but... Judea was the southern part of Israel. 
like uh, around, like here's the Dead Sea. My fist is the Dead Sea. And uh, it would be like this. <laughs> but uh, let's see, I'll do this. Okay, get it right. Dead Sea's over here from your side. This would be the Dead Sea. This would be the Mediterranean Sea. Dead Sea. Judea. Then you got the, then you got the Jordan River going up to the Sea of Galilee. So you got the Sea of Galilee drains down through the Jordan River into the Dead Sea. And no outlet of the Dead Sea. But what you've got is Judea, Samaria, and uh, Galilee in the northern part. Well, Jesus was from up in Galilee. But the interesting thing, we've got this situation where if you notice with me in, in John 4, let me read this. When therefore the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was bab- making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were. He left Judea and departed again into Galilee. So now the way it sounds like, he just left Judea and went into Galilee. But no, notice the next verse. It says, and he had to pass through Samaria. Now, y'all, he didn't have to pass through Samaria. In fact, Jews did not go through Samaria. So, so we got back. Here's, here's Dead Sea, Judea, Samaria, Galilee. Okay, it's all you got the Jordan, you got the you got the Jordan River Valley. Okay, but what the Jews would do is that if they were going to go to Galilee, they would go out, they would cross the Jordan River, go out, and then come back in. Because why? Because in Samaria, back in uh, in AD seven twenty two, what happened was you had the northern kingdom of Israel had got separated after the time of Solomon, and you had the kingdom had been separated. Ten tribes in the north, which was called Israel, and you had two tribes in the south called Judea. Well, what happened was that Israel was where Ahab was, and they had a tendency to be a whole lot more evil than than Judah in the south, where Jerusalem was. And what happened was this group of this this kingdom was attacked by the Assyrians in 722. And the Assyrians took over uh, Samaria, or Israel at that time, Israel, Samaria. And what they did was, the Assyrians did, they took the Jews out of Samaria and took them back to Assyria and also brought Assyrians in to into Israel. And so that part of Israel became a place of half-breeds. And what happened is they kept the foundations of the Jewish faith, the Hebrew faith, but they changed things. Whereas like in Jerusalem, Jerusalem was the most holy place for the Jews. Well, since Israel was there, had their own place, Mount Gerizim was the most holy place. They had these two mountains and they would build up these high places. And uh, and they said that, uh, what was it, Moses, instead of uh, uh, Abraham psych- sacrificing Isaac in around Jerusalem, it was up on Mount Gerizim. Everything was just warped. It was just twisted a little bit. It was the Jewish faith in Samaria. So the Jews hated the Samaritans so much that the Jews would not set foot in Samaria. And all of a sudden, Jesus is going to go to Samaria, I mean to Galilee, but he goes through the middle of, of Samaria. And that is huge 
for a Jewish rabbi, teacher, to do this. And watch as this story unfolds. And so he comes to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near a parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. That's interesting. This, this parcel of land where this well is at, where, where let me just read, and, and Jacob's well was there. So literally, this well is there, which Jacob had dug. This is the land that, that was given to him. Interesting thing, just uh, I think if I'm not mistaken, this is one historical site that they know for sure where it is. And uh, the other interesting thing about this, when J- they brought Joseph's body out of Egypt, this is where they buried it, right just a few hundred yards, if I'm not mistaken, from this well. Place of intense significance. And Jesus is journeying to Galilee. He's tired. Now, y'all, when it says he's tired, I think it's prophetic. It's prophetic. Why is he tired and weary? And you're going to watch this, how Jesus switches in this this whole scenario. But he's tired, wearied from his journey, and was sitting by the well. And it was the sixth hour. Now, y'all, any time you see in Scripture a well, cistern, a spring, it's a type for relationships. I don't have time to, for expediency's sake. I wrote the verses there in Jeremiah 2.13 and set verses 17 through 18 where it talks about you know Israel having forsaking the Lord of glory and, uh, and talking about... And then, and then it says, "Why are you doing on the uh, on your way to Egypt to drink of the rivers of the of of the Nile? Or why are you going to Syria that you may drink of the waters of the Euphrates?" In other words, why are you running and abandoning the Lord to go participate in relationships that are not Him? And that's what was being said there. So here Jesus is, y'all. And he's tired, he's weary, and he sits down by a well. And we know the divine appointment that's about to occur. But the reality is, y'all, it's all about relationships. Now remember the question I asked you earlier. What happens when a relationship is violated? What happens when it's violated? What happens when the law of sin and death enters? And let's go through this. And this is what the Lord just really just had me to, to point out. I'm going to start reading verse 7, and let's go on. It says, Therefore, there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Y'all, that is massive. Jesus speaks to a woman. Do you know rabbis would not even speak to their wives in public? It's so massive. And all of a sudden, this woman who comes up, and we know this woman's got this past, and we'll talk about that in a second. But he says to her, Give me a drink. He's, he's, he's opening this big can of worms. For his disciples had gone away for food. The Samaritan woman therefore said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. What happens when sin and death enters in God into their relationships? We have racial and political division. Jews. Don't want to have anything to do. Racial from the to Samaritans. Blacks don't want to have anything to do with whites. Whatever. Look, go to the Middle East. 
Go to the, go to, you know, I can't even go to uh, Syria or Lebanon if I go to Israel. The first question on the visa application to get a visa into Syria is, have you been to Palestine? Or I'm the time I'm sitting at a at a table on a on a seaside restaurant with the the pastor of the church in Lebanon and and uh, you know just trying to really learn because I really I'm dumber than a stump in a lot of these areas and have an American mindset which is y'all American mindset is dumb when it comes to worldwide politics y'all don't think we know something I just realize how dumb I am when I get over there so a lot of times I'm sitting down with these guys and I'm asking them questions to really learn. And uh, especially when you get in the Middle East, because the politics is intensely complicated. The Balkans also has a crazy, uh, complicated thing. But anyway, I'll never forget. I'm sitting at this, at this, uh, this, this table, and this pastor who was a sergeant in the Lebanese army for like twenty some years, great guy. And I just go, you know, I ask him this question. And I go, uh, well, you know, what's your heart about Israel? And he reaches up and he grabs his cell phone and he goes. His cell phone was laying on the table in front of him, and he goes, um, I, I hope they fall into the sea. And he took his cell phone, and he slid it away, and he says, we do not mention that name here, for the phones have ears. And that's when I realized that cell phones, y'all, never turn off. You know, that intelligence, they monitor cell phones. If the cell phone is on, you can monitor it. And they, he was a, Lebanese, a sergeant in Lebanese army. And then he, he puts his cell phone away away and he says, listen, we don't mention that name here. And, but then he goes, as far as me personally, I, you know, I love God's, you know, God done a lot in Israel and I love it. People, God has, I've forgiven. I, there's no animosity in my heart. But you mentioned that Israel in Lebanon, guess what? Boom. Why? You've got division. Sin and death separating relationships out. And that's what's going on here in Samaria. Political division. Y'all, what do we have in America? What do we have going on in America right now? Republicans and Democrats. Suddenly our country's living more for a a political platform than we are about the good of the country. You know, somewhere in this, y'all, we need Jesus to break down the dividing walls, to heal our hearts. And I'll be honest with y'all, I don't, I think both, both, you know, I'm a Republican, I'll tell you that. I, I'll be honest with you, I believe both of us are wrong in places. I believe both of us are. I believe the only answer is Jesus. You know? And so, anyway, I know I'm not pushing buttons, but anyway, I just had to say that. And, verse, and, and so, so we're dealing with this political division. How about in verse 9, you get, well, I want, want you all to catch this, how serious this political division. Let me read this passage in John chapter 8, verse 48 to you. How serious it was. Get this. When Jesus was doing uh, some hardcore ministry, guess what the Pharisees said? Uh, The Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Guess what? The Jews equated a Samaritan with somebody having a demon. That's, That's what I call racial division. How about women? I mean, it's interesting thing to me in here, since he's a woman, since I'm a woman. Y'all, you want to know how, how intense that is? Look over there in chapter 4, verse 27, where all of a sudden the disciples come back from getting the food. At this point, his disciples came and they marveled. 
that he had been speaking with a woman. <laughs> no one said, why do you seek? Why do you speak with her? No, this is his disciples. That's the effects of the law of sin and death. And the really cool thing to me, in the spirit, y'all, God is doing some crazy things in breaking down the walls of in relationship to women. Women in ministry. And it's just really crazy in how some things that we're watching God do in the spirit. And that how these walls to break down. Now, I know there's authority and their authority is to serve and to protect and all that kind of stuff. But there's, there's a release. Jesus is coming to break down the walls. But the violation of sin and death in relationships causes these walls to divide. Let's go on. There's some other things that the Lord wants us to, to look at here. And how about the, in verse 20, where the woman says, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. You people say that in Jerusalem is the place where you ought to worship. Now, the effects of sin and death cause us to divide out as far as worship and, and uh, relationships in, in the body of Christ. You know, I could speak a lot about that, and, and I know there's a lot going on in, in the body of Christ about that. But that is an effect of, you think about it, right down the street, two churches within a, well, I can't throw them any more I used to. I could probably throw a football from here to, to the field stump. But just on the other side of that, it's another church. Just all within relationships, dist- a distance. But how intense is the relationship with us? What is that? What is that? Let's go on. Now, I've been speaking, y'all, about the effects of sin and death in the area of relationships in broad spectrum. But now it gets deep. Notice in this passage in, in verse chapter 4, verse 6. And I'm going to repeat this. It says, it says, So he came to Samaria, Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob and his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, was sitting by the well, and it was about the sixth hour of the day. There came a woman. Sixth hour of the day. Roman time. John was written in the basis of Roman time, sixth hour of the day, 12 o'clock, 12 noon. Y'all, you do not go get water at 12 noon in the Middle East. It is hot. Right, Aaron? Hot place. Who went to get water at, at, the, at noon? The outcasts. Those who were shamed, the, the people, the normal people, I'm going to use that term, went in the morning or late afternoon. But the outcast would go in the sixth hour of the day. You know how, how this woman is dealing with this shame. Notice in, in verse 29, you know, when she goes back and tells the lady, tells, she finds out who Jesus is and she goes back and she starts telling the people about this. Look in her heart. Come and see a man who told me all things that I have done. This is not, is this not the Christ? Is it? In other words, she, here she is. She's told me every, he's told me everything I've done. All the crap. He knows. And he's talking to me. Here's a woman of shame. Shame means to hide. It was interesting in the second service last week. 
that when I got up to preach, I got up to preach and I couldn't speak. I mean, I just stood here. I mean, I was okay, God, what are you doing? And Gene Ebel, sitting right over here, said, Rick, I just have a word from the Lord. It's about shame in relationships. And all of a sudden, God starts speaking these different words about brokenness in relationships. And shame was one of them that came up. Shame causes you to hide. It's like here's a sin or here's a person. And what you do is there's some kind of event that causes you to, to hide. That is an effect of sin and death in relationships. Causing us to hide either from God, God, you, you don't, you don't want to, you don't want to be around me, or hide in relationship to people. Now, y'all, I mean, we sit here and talk this, talk this, but I mean, I'm asking you this: Are there places in your heart that you keep hidden? I'll tell people like we're Paula, you know, we're, you know, we try to operate in a way in our relationships, in relationship in the church here, that's just wide open. There's not much you don't know about our lives. And even in certain levels, like in, in relationship to leadership. And that's when, like I told you all last week, when Paula walks into an elders meeting, she's done this twice, to when we meet husbands and wives, and she walks in there and she goes, y'all, Rick's dealing with this and this. What are you guys going to do about it? Guess what? Reason why? Because she just put our stuff out there. Why? Because there's no what? Shame. See, that's one of the things that happened when sin and death entered. Because before the fall, Adam and, we, Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. And we'll go to that later on, a little more in depth. But y'all, when sin and death enters, all of a sudden we start to hide. We start to cover ourselves. No relationship can function in the fullness of that place. So I'm not questioning. Now, not, y'all, now there is a place in time and a setting and manner for, for, to open things up. And intimacy, God has been showing us that. But the heart is no walls, no shame. This woman is dealing with that issue. Just go on. Notice, notice, y'all know the where Jesus nails her in verse 16, where the woman says, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty. So it'll come all the way, so I won't have to come all the way here to draw. And he said to her, go call your husband to come here. Why is he doing that? Go get your husband to come here. You know, the interesting thing the Lord spoke to me about this, this is, the, this is just like Adam and Eve. This is just like Adam and Eve. The woman's there without the relationship of her husband participating. The husband is just passively behind her. And Jesus is dealing with an issue in her life, and he knows for her to go to the fullness, she's got to deal with these depth of areas of relationships. And he says, go tell your husband to come. She says, I have no husband. Jesus says, ah, you have said well. He's, she's opening up. You're right. The man, you've had four husbands, and the one you're living with now is not your husband. Now, how could you, how do you like to be in that place, y'all? The king of glory comes there, and he starts reading your mouth. <laughs> I heard testimony of a guy I know, prophetic, right in the middle of a meeting. He stands up, and he goes, he, he was a guest to place, and he goes, uh, 
I don't want to point. But he says, he points out a person over on one side and he says, you are having an affair with her. Can we say the fear of the Lord hit the place? Because it was true. <laughs> you know, it's sort of like that situation there with Jesus. The woman goes, well, you know, she's got this past, sinful past, y'all, broken sin. And the interesting thing to me, y'all, think of it this way. She's been married four times. That means, and the one she's with is not her husband. That means that she's experienced four divorces. Oh, I've, I've, I've never experienced a divorce either, personally, obviously, or in my family. My, my mom died. That was, that was not cool enough. Um, but I have ministered to probably thousands of people in divorces. And I, I know every time you see a divorce or a separation of a relationship, the pain's in it, the pain, the level of pain that is in it. It's massive. That's an effect of relationships being broken. And think of the shame about that in relationship. The effects of it. Sin and the pain. The other interesting thing to me is this that the Lord showed me. This two things. It's history. The one she's living with is not her husband. Why is she not getting married? Why do you think she's not getting married now? Brian says, burned four times, not willing to be burned a fifth. What's five? Five husbands. Five husbands? Is it five? Cool. That's not cool, but I mean, yeah, five husbands. I'm just giving her a break. Five husbands, that's even worse. How did I see four? Anyway, maybe I'm going five minus one. But anyway, six relationships, dude. That's serious. But you know what? I believe this was out of my heart. The circumstantial evidence here is she's shut down. She knows she's got to have relationships. She knows she's hungry. This is the old needs. This is the needs book. Right wide open. This woman's in need. She's got to have relationships. And she's hungry for them. She's thirsty. That's why Jesus says, give me a drink. And then he starts talking to her about being thirsty and having water, which you will never thirst again. Because why? She gets in the middle of a relationship. As soon as she gets in the middle of a relationship, she gets thirsty. And in the middle of a relationship, she becomes so thirsty, she shuts down and she goes to the next relationship. Well, maybe I got the wrong relationship. She kept going to the different relationships, hoping that she would find something to satisfy the thirst. But she couldn't find it. And finally, she's quit. That's what the Lord showed me The other interesting thing that's shown me here, in this whole scenario, you know what's not mentioned? Children. Children are not mentioned. She goes back. She goes back to the village after Jesus talks to her. And you know what? She doesn't go back. She goes back. You know, it's literally interesting. She goes back and tells the men. She didn't go back and get her children that she's found the Messiah. And I, my, my, I'm not saying that, there's no way we can know this, but my question is, was this woman unable to have children? Did that add to the scorn 
public scorn in her life. And all of a sudden, in this context, we see her shutting down in the area of relationships of being married. And my question is, is she shutting down in the area in relationship to children? Or maybe, y'all, she did have children, and children don't want to have anything to do with her. Could you imagine after five times if she did? So, man, she's a massive evidence of the, of the things that can happen when relationships, the law of relationships is broken down. Well, Jesus just does not leave her there, you know. And I want to read, start in verse 10, and I want to read this. And I want you to see what Jesus is telling her about the depth of relationships. Now, in verse 10. So Jesus answered and said, If you knew the gift of God and who it is says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Literally, water. The verb, the verb I mean, the noun, uh, water is a noun in this passage. Interesting thing, the word living is, uh, is a verb. And that is kind of, it's interesting. Water, it's to live. It's literally, it could be said that. Water to live. And she goes, I would give you this water that you may live. And she's going, okay. She don't know what this is, but I want you to notice the response. She said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Now, y'all, I believe this whole passage, y'all, every word in it is significant. She says the well is deep. Now that is true. Historical fact is that this well was somewhere between 100 and 150 feet deep at the bottom of it. It had somewhere around 15 foot of water in the bottom of it. And uh, I think the well now is dried up, but the shaft is still there. But the interesting thing is the well is deep. Why is it Jesus sits by this well that's deep? to encounter a woman that has experienced relationships being broken, to minister into her freedom. Now watch this. And he's telling her, I want to give you water that's alive to live by. Now, I want to pause here. Because what? Notice that how I wrote this heading. The fullness of relationships begins in the Spirit, but then the next heading, the fullness of the Trinity is the source of relationships. Now, you remember last week, on the flip side of this, y'all, you're going to see in this passage, you're going to see the fullness of the Trinity being revealed. But I want to say this to y'all, the fullness of the Trinity, the glory of the Trinity of God is the key for the fullness of relationships to be released in your life and my life. Now, we're going to look at this, and we'll go. Now, y'all, I know this may seem deep, but that's a key word today. We're going to watch it as we go. Now, watch this. It says, you're not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well to drink of it himself and his sons and his cattle. And Jesus answered her and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water shall thirst again. Y'all, okay, 
The drink of water, you drink water, guess what? You're going to thirst. Is there a, uh, a, this is a rhetorical question, please do not answer. Is there a relationship, husband and wife relationship, in this place, if you would, please come back. If this is yes to you, please come here and talk to me after. Really, uh, and I don't mean that sarcastic. But is there a relationship in here that you found as soon as you got married, that it was 100% satisfying to your soul. Because you know why? I doubt that it's true. Because you know why? There's only one relationship that is satisfying, and that's Jesus. He's the one who fulfills and completes relationship. He is the one who overflows into us that brings fullness. And that's where Jesus goes on to say, this water will never thirst again. i got to pause here a second. Y'all, you know, I mentioned the needs book earlier because the reality is, y'all, I can say, dare say, that probably everyone that's in this room, and I know just about everyone in this room, and I've seen many of you in this room thirsty many times. Why is it Jesus saying, I'm giving you water that you'll never thirst again? Either that statement is true or it's not. Why is this statement true? It is true that Jesus gives us something we'll never thirst, and he never stops pouring in us. But the reality is, y'all, we leak. We leak. And that's why we get thirsty. Brokenness of relationships Take a sty- the styrofoam cup of our hearts, like a sty- our hearts being like a styrofoam cup, and taking an ink-, ink pen and poking it into our hearts so that the very life of God pours out of us. And God is wanting to do, in our, do something in our lives in the area of relationships in this church, that it's a church of people whose hearts do not leak, that we do not thirst. That's why people come into churches and leave. They're like the woman at the well, y'all. You're looking at a person. Mr. Mister, I don't know what to call me. You know? I mean, it's interesting the things that, you know, the elders have been walking through stuff with me in the last two or three months, the things that, that I thought that I had gotten victory over in the past. But you know what happened? They changed faces. Satan changed the picture to attack me in areas that I did not know. That the angle, recognize the angle we had come. Patterns in my life that were, when things get tough, guess what? Both. And uh, it's crazy things. And I could sit there and tell you stuff. That in God's doing a thing in my life to guess what? Give me water in the area of like purpose, acceptance, that I do not thirst. Ever again. That's what God is after. But let's go on. And Jesus says, But whoever drinks of the water that I give him shall never thirst. Now, y'all, the water that he's going to give us will cause us not to thirst. Now, get this. But the water I shall give him become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. He's going to give us this water. What is this, y'all? Just one chapter, two two, three chapters earlier. I want you to look at John seven thirty-eight. It's 37, I'm sorry. I put the wrong 
It says, now on the last day of the great feast, Jesus stood and said, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture says, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Two things I want to point out here. From where? Where will this come from? Where? Innermost being shall flow what? Rivers of living water. What is this rivers of living water? But he spoke of the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive for the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not been glorified. The water that is in us, y'all, is the presence of the Spirit of the living God who is in us. But where is he trying to function? Where? In the where? Innermost being. You've got Jesus who's giving the water. You have the Holy Spirit who is in us. And y'all, the fullness of the Trinity, if you'll go back in chapter 4, guess where Jesus is trying to get us to? It's to the Father. He starts talking about the Father. The woman's talking about this generic term of worship. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But Jesus starts talking about worshiping the Father. In verse in verse 21, in 21, Jesus, woman, believe me, an hour's coming, and neither in this mountain nor in this mountain shall you worship the Father. So guess what? You've got the fullness of the Trinity mentioned to this woman. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who He's saying, I'm going to give it, and it's going to be in you. Now, now y'all, every one of us in here that knows Jesus, our Lord and Savior, has the reality of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God's in us. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. The Spirit of God is in us. Now, how is this going to help us, y'all? Now, I want to go back to that statement that woman said in, in verse 11. The well's deep. Y'all, in Psalm 42, 7, there's this statement made. Deep cries out to deep. Y'all, for us to walk in the depths of relationships, there has to be the opening up of the depths of our beings. One, to the Lord. And two, you know what? To each other. I want to repeat that. For us to walk in the fullness of relationships, one, we're going to have to open our depths up to the Lord. There are places in our hearts that some of us in this room, our hearts being like a giant house, have closed our hearts off. One time I'm praying with a lady who had experienced the rape. Many of you have heard this story. But I share it in this context. But she had an, she had experienced a rape, and all of a sudden we're praying for her, and she has a vision from the Lord, and Jesus is in the de- in the the foyer of our house of our heart. But then he starts walking down a hallway, and as he's going down the hallway of her heart, he comes to a room that represents that rape that had occurred, and he said he spoke to her, and, and said, "I want to go in that room." 
And y'all, I know how I know this was so true because I'm seeing. This is one of those times. This has happened to me a few times. <laughs> Excuse me. Is she's telling me the vision? She's telling us the vision. That was more than one of us. They're ministering to her. As she's telling us the vision, I've already seen it. But as she goes to that spot, and Jesus, I mean, Jesus goes to that spot in her heart. She goes, Jesus, you don't want to go there. You don't want to go there. And Jesus goes, yes. I want to go into that area. But y'all, there's places in our hearts, just like her, that we've closed off, we've boarded off. There's shame, there's embarrassment, there's pain, and we close those off. And we hope that we can forget about them. Let me tell you something. It don't go away. It does not go away. The pains of the past, time does not heal all wounds, y'all. Time just puts a Band-Aid on it. You know what? After a while, it'll pop up. Because for us to go to the depths of relationships is a depths we have to open our hearts up. Now, one step further. What is a tool that God has given us to open up the depths. Now, it's very interesting to me, y'all, that he's speaking to this woman about living water, that I'm going to give it to you, that out of the innermost being shall flow it where you'll never thirst again. All of a sudden, you know what the subject matter switches to? Worship. And notice that in 422. You worship that which you do not know for worship. Worship that which we know for salvation is from the Jews. In other words, there's worship where you don't know the person you're worshiping. Then there's worshiping out of uh, you've got the right structure down, but you still don't know intimately the person that you're worshiping. And that's where Jesus said, but an hour is coming and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father. How? In spirit and in truth. What is God saying there? Y'all remember when David was was bringing in the Ark of the Covenant before the Lord into the temple? Not temple, I'm sorry, the tabernacle. And so David dressed in a linen ephod. Yeah, where did he? He starts dancing before the Lord with all his might. Now, y'all, the tradition is that he was naked. No, he was not naked. He was wearing a linen ephod. Y'all, where did he get that? He watched Samuel do that as a kid. Read 1 Samuel chapter 2. Samuel's before the Lord in a linen ephod, worshiping the Lord. And so all of a sudden, David is worshiping the Lord with all his might before the Lord. And Michael sees it and accuses him of being what? Naked. Being uncovered. Because why? Worship, I'm going to say this, can be a key to unlock the depths of our relationships before God. And here's the interesting thing. And before men. Before God. You show me a person. Now, y'all, I'm not talking about external. External actions are, 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 are legitimate. There are, they are true, and, but I don't want us to be judges of external actions. So be careful as I'm saying this. 
But if you show me a person that's passive in worship, I will show you a person who is closed off in their hearts. If you show me a person that's closed off in their hearts, I will show you a person that has areas of problems of relationships with people, either people or with God. Now, now I'm going to say this to you. Worship is not the cure-all, not the fix-all. Because you know what? We're talking about issues from the heart, depths, deep crying out to deep. In front of, in relationship to people. You know what happens when you worship the Lord? All of a sudden with David, when Michael was dancing before the Lord, Michael says, you're becoming undistinguished before these maidens. And David said, I'll humble, paraphrase, I'll humble myself even more than these. In other words, David's going, Lord, I just exposed myself before you. And it was so much in the spirit that it hits Michael and Michael judges him. Because you watch it. You see a person. I'll never forget the days when Paul and I were first coming out of a, out of a denominational background. I mean, it was uh, interesting days for us. We're in a traditional Baptist church. And those days, y'all, I'm serious. This, we laugh at this. But being radical was to have song sheets. And and I remember we're in Wedgwood Baptist Church and God was doing a work in Paul and that's easy for me. She's is she here. But God was doing a work in Paula to get down to the depths of her. And every time we'd go to Wedgwood, there was this guy who danced. Now we say dance. He would be they would be singing the hymn and he'd be going <laughs> you know, and we'd always be standing right behind him and Paula would see it and she'd get so mad at this guy. And he's just happy before the Lord. He's on the, you know, and every now and then he'd go, you know. And uh, and then we go to this. We felt like God was telling us to leave Wedgwood and go to City View Baptist Church, which it was the charismatic church, y'all. It was wild. It had an overhead projector, and they had drums. and 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 I remember Paula. Then they had song sheets too for the. To, to bring comfort. And I remember Paula having the song sheets. And it would, it would, she would grip it like this. And I would see it, and I'm going, oh, Jesus. <laughs> you know, and then God finally was like one day, open, you know, like, okay, Paula, open up your heart. <laughs> you know, and I wish he was here to share the testimony. Because what's in that? Open up the depths. That's why uh, when we're in worship, y'all, uh, prayer time before the service, when BJ and then we tell, our heart is that when what we do in the inner room will be shouted from the rooftops, that we get in there, then we're opening up the depths of our hearts before the Lord. And He's touching our hearts in there before we ever come out here and participate with you. Because worship is one of those doorways that can open up the depths of our relationship before the Lord. Now, y'all, I'm not going to try here and tell us about a particular form. I'm talking about from the depths of the heart. Because God is calling us into the depths of us. BJ. Into a place to go into the depths. Now, y'all, you know, in DP, we don't make any excuse about, y'all, that we don't do worship and 
You know, our services are not seeker services, y'all. When we come together, y'all, we have one intent purpose, and that's to meet God. That's it. Now, y'all, I, I really encourage you this, that when you come in here, that y'all, that you're going, okay, God, I'm opening up the depths of myself to you. Because you know what happens like what Jesus did with this woman at the well? She opened up the depths of herself to him. And what did he do? He healed her heart. I can't, the girl that I told you about, the woman that I told you about with the rape, the beautiful part to me was is to see Jesus, her open the room of that heart, her heart to him, and see Jesus start to go around real fast in the room as she started to confess things. And God healed her heart. And the other beautiful part was this, is that that woman, all of a sudden she's standing in the middle of the room with Jesus and here she hears this noise outside of the doorway of her heart. That room, doorway of that room in her heart. And she hears all this noise and she's going, Jesus, what is that? What are these people doing in my heart? What are they doing at this place? And Jesus spoke to her ever so lovingly. He said, I have brought them, these ladies, to this place in your heart so you can tell them what I have done for you. I will do for them. And you know what? That, that woman has done that. She has ministered freedom to scores of ladies. Some of them in the same areas that she did. Because why? She opened up the depths of her heart. So, you need to speak something quickly. I want you to have lots of paper. And, and one is that you can't start tomorrow, Monday evening. I'm so appreciative of really putting this on the front. I, I, I'm asking you to take this and pray for those youth. For those, for those youth leaders. Um, you have lots of information about BBS there. Um, some of you said, well, how do I get out to Family Field Day today? It's from 4 to four to 6 today. There's directions at the door. And and the last, when we had to postpone because of the weather, we decided instead of having a meal afterwards, we're going to have a baptism. There's some kids that want to be baptized. And so I'll bring clarity to, to any of that confusion that's going on. At the end of Field Day, we're going to have a, a water baptism out there. But the word came in the healing team of, that there's somebody with a forearm. Was it a left or a right in a forearm? And if that's you, I, I, I'm just going to, as, as we worship, um, I'm, if you want to come over to this, this place, we'll, we'll pray for you. I'm going to just bring us to mind, too, that we've given a testimony of how the Lord moved in um, Eagle's Nest Regeneration. There are three men who graduated yesterday, but three men were in an accident um, several weeks ago and and the driver of the of the van this morning woke and, and a, a lot of his symptoms are have come back this morning and um, um, just bruising and pain and sore and so I, I'm going to pray for him as we step into this place and I, and I just also just hear the Lord saying I mean the Lord spoke this to me yesterday about Brett and Diane's uh, their relationship as, as they got married but this is a place that there, there is a wrapping that the Lord wants to do today in, in, this, in this relationship. And, and, uh, and I, I, I felt like the Lord said as we were praying, and I felt it really strong while we were worshiping, is that there's a place, and I said this before, that we can exclaim who He is, but, he, but He's asking us to do something. 
And, and our hurts tell us that's not safe, but I, I, I'm going to testify to you that it's safe. And uh, that, that, that the lover of our soul we let in and, and that where Rick was saying, like, calling out to the depth of us. And the depth of us calling back to him. Lord, it, we, we need all of your presence. We said this at the beginning. All of, all of the I am. We said that we we need to be in a we want to be in a place of walking out in fullness. But we 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 need the spirit, your spirit in every in every inch of every place where it needs to be healed, where it needs to be softened and filled. That every every part of me would exclaim to you. Not in a scream of fear, but in a, in a passion of excitement. In the, in the conviction of, of believing that you are, are all the I that I am. I pray right now as we, as we worship that you would be glorified. That you would be glorified. As we go into this, I just hear in the Spirit some of you saying, well, I'll open up when I know it's safe. Well, I'm going to say this to you all. The only thing that makes us safe is the mercy and grace of God. Because, you know, no relationship can function 100%. And the other crazy thing is Jesus knowing that relationships would be violated on the cross he died for broken relationships. Surely our griefs he himself bore, our sorrows he carried. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, for by his stripes we're healed. That's how we can walk in relationships. And vulnerability is out of the depths of the cross. So as we go there, let's, let's just, I want you to keep that in mind. Yeah.